you're listening to a Trav Market Media Network podcast. This is a pretty good choice if you ask me. Find more podcasts at travmarketmedia.com. Hello and happy rerun day Monday. These episodes released on Mondays are throwbacks to the past episodes of Travel Radio Podcast. You may even hear them mentioned as travel agent interview as that's what the first 75, maybe, I don't know, 50 episodes were under travel agent interview. Uh, But these episodes are some of the ones that I thought were really valuable and that had great content, but that you may not want to scroll back or even be able to scroll back in your podcast player 150 or 200 episodes. So I'm going to rerun some things that I think are amazing and that the guests are worth listening to. And that could be a resource to you, the travel planner. Or even if you are a traveler listening and you want to find a travel planner or had not considered using one, you might find someone with a great knowledge base that could help you get on your next expedition, cruise, honeymoon, gal pal getaway, I don't know, whatever it is you're looking for. I hope that you find it on Travel Radio Podcast and that you, um, yeah, that you all recommend this to a friend and leave a review if you have a moment. It really helps me personally, um, as far as the podcast getting found in the search engines. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day and enjoy. Welcome to Travel Radio. I am your host, Megan Chapa, and I am pleased and privileged to have Chloe Jagger on the program with me today. Welcome, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Chloe, would you take a minute to introduce yourself and tell us about your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Um, My name is Chloe, and I am the host of Travel Lust podcast, which is a podcast that I started last year. And I essentially interview different people who have been to all various countries that I haven't been to myself and try to learn from their travel experiences, try to provide advice for people that might be wanting to go to those Mm. countries. Cool. Good stuff. So then, um, as are you, you sound like you're a young person. What are you doing with yourself outside of the podcast? Yeah. Um, well, I'm 22. I graduated from university uh, about a year ago now. And so nice. I've been working full-time in radio as oh. a local news journalist in northern New South Wales. How about that? Okay. Northern New South Wales. So we uh, sadly had to cancel a trip to um, Camembera. Is that near Canberra. you? Camembera. Kem- no. Camembera? Canberra. Yeah, Canberra. Canberra. Canberra is in New South Wales. New South Wales is very, very big. Ah. It is just one state, but it is huge. So the difference between where I live and Sydney is about a nine hour drive. And Mm. then Canberra is even further south. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I know where it is in the map. I just thought we would have been closer together. So, (laughs) but this brings up an interesting point in that you know, the United States and Australia are, are nearly the same size. I think, um, Australia is, oh my gosh, 7 million kilometers, almost eight. And the United States is nine something. So they're, they're massive. So when you say that, that's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting when you think that, is it 52 states that the U S has? We do. We do. 
And we have about seven. Okay. (laughs) So the states are very big. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. We, um, yeah, well, we can get into that another time, but that's, that's curious to talk about. Um, so let's talk about, you know, as someone who lives in Australia and who talks travel and sees people come to their country, when you, like, if you were to leave the country on a trip and then come back and think about your country, what comes to mind as like the things that you identify as representing your country? Um, definitely the sun, uh, especially where I live. It is very hot for the most of the year. It doesn't mm. really get cold here the way that it does in other countries. Um, it very, very rarely dips below zero degrees here. It would never, ever snow where oh. I live. Other parts of Australia do get snow, never where I live. Uh. So definitely the heat, um, the beach as well, um, where I live. I live on the coast, as oh, nice. most people do here. Yeah. Um, so lots of beaches, lots of swimming, just just summer in general. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I was talking to an Australian guy, and he said that the favorite pastime of Australians is tracing their lineage back to the original criminal population. Is this true? Can you tra- trace your lineage? And uh, what do you have to say about that? um yeah i i personally can't because my grandparents on my dad's side moved here from the netherlands um after the second world war so um my lineage isn't very far back in history (laughs) no notable criminals Um, (laughs) no not that i know of um but yeah it's definitely something that you learn a lot about, especially when you're younger in primary school, um, uh, how the settlement slash invasion happened, how, you know, yeah, it it depends how political you want to get on that. It's quite a contested issue here. Um, But yeah, lots of people do like to trace their history back, definitely. And I think people a lot of people still feel quite close ties to the UK mm. and um, I guess like loyalty to especially Britain. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just here in my children's school, we actually have a large group of Australian students. So, and they come back and forth um, every couple of years because I guess there's probably still a lot of trade deals that happen in industry that crosses over. So that's mm. interesting. But you know, we don't have to get political because we're just talking travel. That's all right. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's happy in the travel industry. And if you're not in the travel industry, maybe you should be. Shoot. Not just you, everyone. Okay, there you go. So then talking, you know, okay, so what about the people of Australia? Could you, do you think in general they're hospitable or do they like tourists? How would you describe them? Mm, um, I think for the most part, we're a pretty friendly bunch. I do live in an area, uh, the town Byron Bay is quite close to me. And that is one of the, uh, I think it's like the top three in the whole country, like tourist destinations. So you've got Sydney, Melbourne, and then everyone comes to Byron Bay. And it depends on who you ask, but um, a lot of people really welcome tourists and then there are like 
the old timers, I would call them, that are like, oh, that's, they're ruining our small beachside town, you know. <laughs> like, I like your old timers' voice. The, yeah. <laughs> but I think for the most part, um, everyone wants to know people that come here from different countries and like, are, they're, they're curious. Like, just like people who come here want to meet the locals, I think. Uh, just as much so people want to be like, oh, you're from the U.S. or wherever else. Like, what are you doing here? Like, what's it like for mm-hmm. you? I think generally you'd be greeted with a smile, I think. Wonderful. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of three cities that are popular for tourists. Do you want to talk about why they're popular for tourists? Sure. Um, so Sydney, of course, is the largest city in Australia. It's got the Opera House. It's got the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got like Bondi Beach, which is very famous. It has old TV shows surrounding it. Um, so I think if you're flying into Australia, you're probably going to fly into Sydney if that's what you are wanting to do. Uh, Melbourne is probably the second biggest tourist destination. Mm -hmm. It's at the very south of Australia and it's got a really cool vibe. Melbourne Mm. is known for its hipsters, its culture, music, arts, amazing coffee, amazing food. It's probably the most European style city, I I would say. Yeah. It's interesting because Australia is a relatively young country you're not going to see the same type of really old buildings and architecture like if you were going to Europe. Mm -hmm. It's a very different experience coming to our cities. Um, So, yeah, that's Sydney and Melbourne. And then Brisbane as well is probably the third biggest city, which is in Queensland. And that's a a pretty cool city as well. It's quite close to me, so I go there quite often and I love it. And then, yeah, you've got Byron Bay, which is where I live. Um, it's a very popular beachside area. Lots of people come here to surf. Um, lots of hippies. Very um, mm-hmm. People come here for their, their spiritual awakening or whatever. Uh, or they, whatever. Uh, whatever they tell <laughs> themselves it is. And then, yeah, there's plenty of other destinations. Like you've got the Great Barrier Reef mm-hmm. where you can go diving and snorkeling before it dies. You know, guys, oh climate change is real. Uh, and then you can go into Central Australia, or like Uluru, the Northern Territory, um, whole different experiences, especially learning about our Indigenous culture, um, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, First Nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends what you want to do. There's so much to do. Um, yeah, we've got every landscape there is. There's rainforests, mountains, skiing, surfing. Wow. Whatever you want to do, you can do it in Australia. What about Tasmania? Yeah, Tasmania. It's kind of like the forgotten <laughs> islands, really. Oh, it's funny. Lots Tasmania. of people, when they try to draw Australia, kind of f- forget to tack Tasmania on. <laughs> but it, it's really beautiful. People, I've heard people liken it to New Zealand. I, it's up to personal opinion whether you agree on that or not. Sure. But, yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. Lots of hiking and natural beauty there as well. Nice. I I think that it might have actually been a Rick Steves podcast. He talked about, well, there was a guest from Tasmania, and he was saying the apples are so juicy they explode in your mouth. I'm like, I want to eat one of those apples. Sounds amazing. I don't think I've had a Tasmanian apple before. I'm going to have to (laughs) invest. All right, take a video. I want to see it explode. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, um, let's, have you ever done like a coast to coast trip? Because I know that your country is huge. How long does it take? Have you done it? No, personally going, so I live, um, on the East coast, haven't been to Western Australia before. Uh, I think from here it's about a five hour flight off the top of my head mm-hmm. might be seven, but, uh, if you were to drive it, it would probably take you about two days straight without stopping. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't recommend doing that. Yeah. But it's definitely on my list. Um, I would love to see Perth and the other, uh, areas that they have over there. Definitely. Yeah. I've done the coast to coast drive in the United States. I don't know, 10 times. 15 times. I don't know. A lot of times. Uh, and it takes, I mean, if you're not with children and you're hauling and your husband isn't getting pulled over for speeding tickets, I mean, something like 35, 38 hours to drive coast to coast from like California to Pennsylvania, which is not quite the coast, but sometimes Pennsylvanians and New Jerseyans don't get along. So we'll just say California to Pennsylvania is 38 hours, something like that. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't recommend driving. Um, Another thing to remember is the further inland you go, kind of the less there is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's over 80% of the population in Australia live right on the coast. Mm -hmm. So all the center is kind of a bit more barren, um, desert-like. So probably not too much tourism right bang smack in the center. Yeah. And if you're unfamiliar with the country and it's hot as Hades in the summer, why would you want to be stranded there? Let's yeah. Just not do uh, that. You definitely don't want a um, flat tire out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So then, okay. So if we're not going to be driving necessarily, well, the country's huge. So you're not going to drive it on maybe a typical U.S. vacation because we only have about two weeks for the average U.S. you know citizen traveling. Where, you know, how would you travel in the, and do you recommend like regional travel or do you have some itineraries you would suggest? Sure. Um, I would definitely, if you're wanting to do a road trip, definitely doing the East coast, top to bottom, top of Queensland down to either Melbourne or straight down to Tasmania would definitely be the way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's plenty of beach towns if that's what you're after if you're wanting to see the regional areas there's plenty of wine regions to see like the hunter valley nice. you can do like hot air ballooning activities and things like that that would definitely be my recommendation um can the I, other way to do it can yeah. i make an interjection about australian wine sure this is like my family anecdotal information my <laughs> cousin married a guy from perth I was mm-hmm. unable to go to the wedding, but this is the story. Uh, wedding venue for the reception had ended up with E. coli and they had to cancel the reception. Like got a phone call, got a text while the ceremony was happening that the reception area had to be like, it was closed because the government shut them down and said, you've got to clean this place up, blah, 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 contaminated. And so my aunt said, okay, we're going to have it at our house. And she went to the wine store that was, you know, still open in this, you know, somewhat twilight hour and said, can you give me all of your Australian wine? And he said, oh, we've got a really great brand in. Um, it's uh, Yellowtail. And apparently mm-hmm. the Australians from Perth do not like Yellowtail. 
But my aunt didn't know that. And that was all the wine they had. So she took all this yellowtail wine and they got <laughs> trays of lunch meat. And the Australians, uh, I guess they still drank it all and had a good time with lunch meat and yellowtail. So <laughs> that's at their, in their backyard, which is a little sad, but also kind of hilarious because is it true that Australians don't like yellowtail? I would say it is um, looked down on a little bit as kind of like a cheap brand, mm-hmm. like it's nothing fancy. I like I would not say no to it if someone was like, "Do you want some?" Because um, we have a pretty hectic drinking culture here as well. <laughs> uh, but no, it's probably wouldn't be my go-to choice either. <laughs> okay, that's really funny. So okay, so we've got our driving tour. I interrupted you. What's the next one? Sure. And the other thing I was going to say was another great way to do it is to do a cruise um, along Mm. the coast as well, because there are so many different ports and different beachside or harborside areas. That's a really easy way to kind of stop off at the main tourism destinations and still have a bit of fun and do something a little bit different as well. Otherwise, um, I know people are, are like... Some are against um, taking a lot of flights because of the environmental impacts, but it is honestly the quickest and easiest way to get mm. from city to city to city. Yeah. So if you just wanted a city experience, you didn't want to be in the smaller areas, it's definitely the way to go. And another thing to think about when you come to Australia is that our infrastructure is really lacking and public transport is not what it is in other countries. Mm. So if you're wanting to get out of the city, you need to think about how am I going to get around because Uber is not going to be a thing unless you're in a city. Um, Trains just aren't really a thing, again, unless you're in the bigger towns or urban centers. Mm -hmm. So you really either need to rely on a bus or hire a car or a van and drive yourself around unless you're flying to those major areas. Sure. And I mean, so that is one criticism that people from the UK often say, like, your infrastructure is terrible. But I think that you can identify with me in the sense that, you know, the UK has been working this same piece of ground since the fourth century. So Mm. there, I mean... You can do a lot of work, you know, in, in what is, you know, a small state in my country in, in that met, in that much time with that much money. So I would say like, be patient. We're working on it, but also that's, it's a good, um, argument for taking one of these bus tours. Now I don't necessarily yeah. like the idea of a bus tour in the sense that my children aren't going to comply with the rules at their age and they're going to want to get off and they're going to have to pee at inappropriate times. However, if you're looking at um, transportation, uh, as far as they know where they're going, they're going to take you there. You're going to save, it's going to be efficient in time in that sense. You're not going to have to fight for parking. That stuff is covered. And as far as environmental impact, you know, you're all sharing one engine. You're putting 30 people with one engine. So, um, all that to say, that's a good argument for a bus tour um, or, or the cruise ship is a, is a great option too, because while you're sleeping, you're being transported. So you're not essentially wasting time in transportation. When you wake up, you're at the new destination. So, 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely the group tours are a way to go. Um, Kentucky and Top Deck are really big here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we have some of the other, like Intrepid and whatever else, what have you. They're all here. So that's definitely a way to go as well. So it's interesting you mentioned Kentucky because you as a young person can do Kentucky, but um, my family, uh, it, you know, they, they cater to millennials, at, yeah. which, which is great. Um, but just as an FYI, if somebody's going to go look that up, um, if you are an old person and by that, I mean, older than the age of 38, you need to, you know, contact a travel professional so they can get you an equivalent option. Um, I know some, but we're not going to get into that. We don't have time. Um, (laughs) all right. So what about, um, have you ever taken one of those historic train rides through Australia? I have not. I haven't. Um, I don't think I've ever actually taken a train in Australia because oh. I rely so heavily on my car. Ah, so there are some, I did an episode with a guy that organizes some of these train rides, but they, and this is probably something like your parents would probably want to do because you specifically probably won't find like aged passengers to talk to unless you like talking to a more mature crowd, which I do. They have good stories, good life history. But um, they have these refurbished train cars that do like that do kind of like a classic twenties, thirties, forties, prior, you know, not the war era type stuff, but um, really classy dining car, sleeping car experiences. Um, like I think you have two or three routes in Australia, but that's just something to think about for the future. But um, yeah, interesting. I'd like to do that. Um, yeah, definitely sounds cool. Are you a surfer at all? You know, I'm not. I've tried it. I can say that I tried, but it requires balance, and I don't really have that. I really have trouble standing on something that is rapidly propelling you forward. It is much harder than they make it look. And my dad tried to teach me. Hint, he has a line of surfing trophies on his bookshelf, so I think he's a little bit like, Oh, fail. (laughs) I'm just afraid of, I have the balance. I'm afraid of like what's in the water. You know, like Mm -hmm. sea life is terrifying to me. So that's probably from growing up at the Jersey shore. And also, you know, everything else that happens with the Jersey shore. Don't swim there. Save yourself the trouble. (laughs) Don't swim with the Jersey. Sorry, New Jersey slash not so sorry. Clean yourself up. So there you go. Um, yeah. Well, what I would say if you are worried, is it sharks that you're worried about? Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. Well, um, our state government have been investing lots and lots of money into shark detection strategies in this area mm. uh, because there has been uh, a lot of shark incidents in this area previously. So it's probably the safest time, if ever, to take up surfing in this area because we've got the smart drum lines, which will attract a shark without killing it like the nets can. Um, We've got drones flying, looking for them. There's tagging. Um, There's all different, like, different, like, oh, gosh, alarms that they have. Um, Mm. You can download an app to send you alerts when there's a shark sighting so that you know Ah. what beaches not to go to. So, yeah, they're really on top of it here. That's really interesting. Okay, well, I'm going to look for that app and put it in the show notes. Um, So (laughs) as far as a beginner's beach, what's your recommendation? Hmm. Um, 
Well, just speaking from where I live here, there's a lot of surfing beaches and I know that there are surf schools in Lennox Head that will take you out onto the lake first where it's calm, where you can practice mm -hmm. standing up and then they'll take you across the road to where the beach is and you can have a go. Um, The Gold Coast is quite renowned for its surfing beaches as well. Um, Where my dad grew up and learnt to surf, Phillip Island down off the coast of Melbourne, there's a big surfing culture there as well pretty much anywhere um most beach towns are going to have some form of surf school as well okay and i would recommend if you are coming here from overseas to be going to beaches where you see red and yellow flags up because that means there are lifeguards patrolling and they can help you out do not swim or surf at our beaches if you're not competent and you're not at a patrolled beach because uh, it can be dangerous. We have lots of pretty hectic rips. and Yeah, that's um, what I'm worried yeah, about. If you don't know the water, then you know you want to be somewhere where there's someone that can help you. Okay, yeah, that's, what I, that's exactly what I wanted to know because my daughter is super confident. She's like, Mom, no problem. I learned to swim in my Mimi's pool and she'll be out there sucked <laughs> out to the ocean swimming with the sharks. All yeah. right. Swim Good. between the red and yellow flags. <laughs> Good tip. Okay, what about, um, you know, the thing that makes the movies is the walkabout. Have you done a walkabout? Can you talk about a walkabout? I have not done a walkabout. That is kind of something that's really more uh, indigenous culture. It's something that um, local Aboriginal people would do. It's part of their culture and customs. So I'm not Aboriginal. That's not something that I have done. I have heard about it. I have learned about it. Not something that I've experienced. Probably not something that uh, tourists would experience either unless they're booking through some type of Indigenous um, tourism provider. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is something that is kind of uh, only with um, people that have grown up in that culture mm. and yeah. So then that was fully explained, but <laughs> no, I think, but it's, it's good to know. And I think that would, we need a little bit of assistance of how to interact with indigenous people appropriately. Do you have any advice for that? Sure. Um, well, my top tip would just be respectful. Um, make sure that you are going to uh, accredited tourism areas that are really investing in that Indigenous culture and that um, different Aboriginal nation group. Mm. Um, an important thing to remember if you are travelling all around Australia is that not all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people come from the same nation group. There's over 300 different ones with their own languages, dreamtime stories, beliefs. Wow. So each place is different. Okay, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for people, like for other general tourism tips, are there traditional greetings that people should know or not use? Or how would an Aussie greet another Aussie? And what would be, what would you like to see from a tourist? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. I think there's a lot of stereotypes about Australians, but honestly, we're kind of like this weird blend between the UK and the US. Okay. So if you're coming from a Western culture, 
if you just follow the customs of those countries, you're probably going to be pretty safe. If you can go up to an Australian with like a super thick, um, like UK, British accent and try to say g'day, you're probably going to get a weird look. <laughs> and it's actually not something that's used that often, especially not a, um, among people in my generation. Yeah. You'll just say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you <know? laughs> okay. So then what about walking? Like if do you, so the thing that I appreciate about the UK is pedestrian areas that are wide, like these to probably be for carriages, but they're now just pedestrian shopping and walking areas. Um, and so one of the things that drives me crazy is people that walk like 10 abreast and I'm just like, pick a side. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming in this country, cause we drive on the left, it's the left pick a side, but don't walk 10 abreast. What, what, how should people walk? in Australia if they were in a pedestrian area. Yep. Always stick to the left. Okay. That's good to know. In the United <laughs> States, with, like, swap. stairways and things like that. Okay. What was that? Swap? In, yeah. In the United States, go on the right. Right. Yeah. Yep. And that, you know, especially in cities, that's going to help you out because people will get angry and they might just tell you about it. Stick, <laughs> stick on the right. That's good. Okay. So what about like gestures or expressions that you might know of that don't translate well? Are there any things that people should not be doing? Hmm. Well, that's a difficult question. Not off the top of my head. I think if you're, as long as you're just like being respectful, I think you're going to be treated with respect as well. As I will say, um, just living in such um, a, an area where we see a lot of backpackers mm. is if you're littering, you are not going to be treated well. People don't take kindly to people that litter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, here is one thing, actually, that people probably might not realize is smoking is really frowned upon here. There's like mm. a really anti-smoking culture. You can only really smoke in designated areas. If you are, even if you're outside, but you're in like a public space, like walking along the footpath and you're smoking and blowing smoke, it, like in other people's personal space bubbles, they yeah. are not going to be happy with you at all. If you just drop your cigarette butt and put it yeah. out and leave it on the ground, you're going to get some death stares. <sighs> and um, I know they've actually started putting like, um, anti-smoking signs up at some of the local beaches as well. So yeah. I think because it is, it has a, there's a real smoking culture in Europe, I've found, but in Australia, definitely not so much. Yeah, it's, I mean, to me, it's super gross. And, you know, my I have had family members that have, you know, started and stopped and then tried to stop and it's very difficult. So I, I feel for those people. But I also feel for like, I don't want to know that I'm sharing your same air. I should not smell what has just come out of your mouth. And the vaping thing drives me crazy because I'm like, I'm like wafting it away from my children's faces. Like, please don't spray my children with, you know, the contents of your lungs. So gross to me. Um, Mm, Absolutely. What about, um, I don't know if this is a concern for you or not, but do you have like marijuana tourism? Is that a thing in your country? It's funny you should say that because I live right near a town called Nimbin, which is like the cannabis capital of Ah, Australia. There you go. So... Just to be clear, it's not legal here. Okay. But lots of people go to Nimbin to um, play play around with um, the types of things that you can buy there. Okay. Um, yeah. 
they actually just over the weekend had their Mardi Gras festival where they um, kind of all rally for cannabis legalization. And I wouldn't be surprised if medicinal cannabis is legalized within the next few years, but Mm -hmm. we're still far away are still far away from recreational use being legalized. That's interesting. I have an interview set up with a, um, with, with, well, with some people in the industry and I lived in Colorado while, when they legalized it. And, you know, a lot of people live in Colorado, um, that are veterans and have, they don't want to be on opioids for a number for their pain management, basically. Um, but, and, and I, I don't even know what to say about this. I'm like, go for it if it keeps you off of opioids. But the tourism has actually caused some infrastructure problems as far as hospitals go and ambulances go. And I've been in restaurants where people have been turned away because they, they can't even order off the menu. So it's it's an interesting thing. Um, I don't know how to manage it properly. I mean, there's, there's demand for it. Um, mm. But yeah, it just, it makes it dicey when you're out with your kids and people are because they go overboard, but I think it's going to, as it normalizes, as more states take it up, it will not be so much of a draw. So it's it's interesting, um, but yeah, we'll be interested to see how that plays out in Australia because it's, yeah, it, it has, I don't know, that's a whole separate issue. I'm going to drop that right there. <laughs> so, okay. So what about, um, let's talk about... If you had to choose a place for you to go in Australia and there were no budget limits, there was no time limit, and you could just go there for your own pleasure and satisfaction, where would you choose? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the Whitsunday Islands have been on my bucket list for quite some time, and I'm really hoping that I'm going to get there this mm, year. Cool. So, uh, yeah, that would definitely be it. Um, I would love to stay on one of the resorts at Hamilton Island go like scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef, mm. go to like Whitehaven Beach, just like lie on like a perfectly beautiful beach with a cocktail in my hand. That's right. <laughs> Maybe do a scenic helicopter flight, I don't know. <laughs> nice. Those are good choices. Good choices. Okay, so then what about um I've been looking at some Australian menus because in here um, I'm going to do it like a little blog article on translating English to English because sometimes things don't mean the same on a menu, but I've come across a couple of things on some Australian menus that I'd like you to, to help the listeners with. Um, sure. what is a barbecued snag? <laughs> um, a sausage that has been barbecued usually on a piece of white bread, maybe with some grilled onion on top and some tomato sauce. Okay. That's what it is. Nice. Okay. What about lamingtons? A lamington. Um, it's a little cube of sponge cake, essentially, with um, a chocolate, not a hard chocolate coating, but kind of like a, like a chocolate spread coating and then mm. covered in uh, coconut. Oh, that sounds heavenly to me. My husband doesn't mm. like coconut, but I would just be fat oh. if we went to Australia. That sounds good. So good. And you can buy them in like 10 packs at the supermarket. Oh, great. I'm there. <laughs> what is a burger with the lot? <laughs> um, just imagine, uh, you know, a burger stacked with uh, like a meat patty, 
lettuce, tomato, onion, and then you'll probably find a pineapple ring, maybe a fried egg. Wow. Um, and then whatever sauce you choose. Wow. Okay. That is a lot. That is a lot of lot. Okay. <laughs> maybe some bacon as well. Yes. Nice. <laughs> Barramundi. Mm-hmm. That's a type of fish. So um, generally you'll find it beer battered. Um, maybe it will be grilled. It depends on where you're eating and how um, upscale the place is. But generally, if you're going to a fish and chip place, you can find barramundi. Nice. I've actually cooked barramundi and it is delicious and not fishy at all. Mm. It was good. It's like a, mm, it's yeah. not quite a white fish, right? It's a little yellow. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm having trouble picturing it at the moment, but yeah, seafood, seafood in general is very big here. Mm, sounds good. Um, how about mm, the traditional Vegemite? <laughs> um, I don't know how to explain it without you tasting it because it's, um, <laughs> very unique. Um, it looks just like black tar <laughs> It does. and you usually will eat it on a bit of toast with the tiniest little scraping. Do not like coat your toast in this because it is very potent. Yes. Um, I don't even, I don't know if I can It's like describe it's yeast, right? It's, yeah, it is. And there's something else in there. I'm not sure, but that's why when I see people have it and they have, cause it, you know, they sell it here in the UK and they sell it some places in the U S but it's not like super popular when mm-hmm. I see them have this, you know, like a half gallon jar or whatever, I'm like, that has to be for novelty purposes because no one could possibly put that much on a sandwich or consume it before it goes bad. But it's because, yeah, like you're saying, like the little tiny scrape is enough flavor because it's very yeasty and it's salty also. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, if I My recommendation would be if you're going to eat it, get a cracker put a little bit on and have it with some cheese. And then you've got some other flavors to kind of balance it out. So you're not a Vegemite lover. It's not my um, spread of choice. I'll say that. <laughs> I'll is? eat it. I, I don't mind it, but it's not like my favorite. Oh, Nutella, definitely. I was going to say it has to be Nutella if you're going to go spread. <laughs> there you go. Okay. What about a cherry ripe? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a type of chocolate. Do you guys not have that? No, I hear that this is only popular in Australia, that Cadbury makes it for you, and it's just yours. Oh, my God. I thought it was everywhere. Okay, it's a chocolate bar. Um, If you imagine coconut, cherry, sugar, like that's the center, and then it's like coated in dark chocolate. So you got like the dark chocolate coating, you bite in, and then your mouth is just full of coconut and like a cherry flavoring. Nice. Yeah. So I like what we have is called a bounty bar and that Mm -hmm. is similar. And they make one that's called almond joy and it has an almond on the top and you can get them. I think bounty is dark chocolate. And I think that almond joy might be milk chocolate, but it's basically the coconut middle at covered in chocolate. And that's, that's the limit. That's kind of it. And that's our equivalent. And you add cherry. Yeah. We have bounties here as well, but if you just imagine that, like with cherry. (laughs) All right. Good to know. What about an Anzac biscuit not to be called an Anzac cookie? Yeah. Anzac biscuits. Um, they are a very hard biscuit kind of made with like oats and it's not never chocolate or anything like that. It's a little bit 
bland. I hope I, it's not like <laughs> against like Australian culture to be saying that. I don't want to <laughs> have people coming <laughs> after me. It's not like the most amazing biscuit you're ever going to eat, in my opinion. It's a little bit sweet, but it's nothing like too crazy and it kind of comes from the wartime which is why it is like very basic that's what they would eat and that's why it's called anzac because our anzac day is kind of like our day of commemoration of the war it stands for australian new zealand army corps okay that's good to know what about a witchetty grub witchetty grub um just to be clear, it's not something that people are eating every day. Um, that's kind of part of bush tucker. <laughs> oh, you know, it's because it's so appealing. Um, it's essentially a grub, an insect that people eat. Um, part of bush tucker, which is, you know, native Australian food, food that the Aboriginal people would eat or scavenge. I was reading about the witchetty grub, though, which is like a huge uh, mealworm is what we would probably call it. But they're supposed Mm -hmm. to be really high in protein, which I've eaten mealworms in Africa um, and some other larvae, lots of larvae, actually, and some grasshoppers and beetles. And uh, I don't know that at this stage of my life I would want to eat that. But it's good to know that if I had to survive, I could see one of these things and just, you know, take a bite out of it. High in protein. Mm -hmm. Gross, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, no offense to the Aboriginal people. I just, you know, I just, I don't, yeah. Do you eat it when it's alive, by the way? To be honest, I've never tried it. I would assume so. I guess maybe you could cook it over a fire. I don't know. So the mealworms, I, I, I've had them both live and, you know, roasted. And when you roast them, they actually taste a little bit like peanuts, which is weird. Um, if I'm remembering the right insect, but, um, and they're just crunchy, but mm, okay. But these look big. So that just kind of (laughs) creeps me out a little bit. Um, what about a stubby? What's a stubby? A stubby is essentially a beer. Mm. Um, so you can get stubby holders, which are like little foam things that you put around your beer to keep it cold. Yeah. We call them a beer koozie. Yeah, so we call it a stubby holder. <laughs> is a stubby generic for any beer, or is that a specific brand? Um, it's generally like a short-necked bottle, but if, I don't know, if, you, if someone was like, you want a stubby, it's like, you want a beer. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Are there any other menu tips that you can think of that you want to give us? Hmm. It's really hard. Um, damper definitely is one to try. It's like our form of bread. Oh. Um, if you're camping, it's really fun to make. It's super easy to make, and you can just like put it on a stick and roast it over the fire. Oh. Have it with some like honey. It's really good. Um, pavlova. There's like a bit of contention about whether it is Australian or whether it is Kiwi, that pavlova is really big. It's um, a very sugary, sweet dessert that you can have topped with cream and various fruits. Um, Yeah. uh, Let me interrupt you real quick. You said whether it's Australian or Kiwi. Will you give us – what do you mean by that? um, So Australians like to claim the pavlova as ours. People mm-hmm. from New Zealand like to claim it as theirs. Okay. So it <laughs> depends who you want to believe, but I'm Australian, so I'm going to say it is an Australian cuisine. <laughs> I think it's actually, now I was reading up on it, and I think it has some connection to a Russian ballerina. 
Is that true? Really? That's where I got the name Pavlova. I haven't heard that. I think that might be true, but, um, you know, I might be making this stuff up. So listeners do your research. I'll try to (laughs) put a link in the show notes about the Pavlova and its history. But is it something like a meringue base that you load up with? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's it. So is there anything else we should include before we wrap up on travel tips to Australia? I don't think so. I think um, there's just so much, so many different things to do here. Like it really is so diverse. And um, like I was saying earlier when I was talking about public transport, um, it is a really big country. Like it is it takes time to get around. So I think you have to allocate that time if you do want to see a lot, because a lot of the time is going to be eaten up by traveling from place to place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So that's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, Definitely keep in mind what time of year you come as well, because we are, um, depending on what part of Australia you're in, um, it is a bit uh, closer to the equator than some other countries. So we do get a lot of rain, uh, northern Queensland especially can get like cyclones and tropical oh. thunderstorms and things like that mm. and flash flooding. So, And that is like a pretty major tourism area as well. So definitely do your research on what time of year you're coming. You know, if you're coming here in the middle of June, which to most other countries is like heading towards summer, over here we're heading into our winter. So it's probably right. not going to be the best time to come if you're wanting to pick up surfing. I gotcha. Gotcha. Good tip. Well, how can people find you on your podcast? Yeah. Um, if you search Travel Lust Podcast, it's available on pretty much any type of podcast directory, um, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter if you just search for the podcast. I'm on Instagram, but I have a weird name. It's travelL.podcast. So it kind of looks like I was spent spelt travel wrong, like with a double L. And the reason I did that was because when I made my account and I put lust in it, Um, Instagram instantly shut it down. So I had to be creative. (laughs) Oh man, that's funny. I selected um, the age of the podcast for my Twitter account and it shut it down because people of one year and younger or whatever it was when I set it up couldn't you know, you have to be over 18. So it flagged my account and I had to dispute it with them and then put my, my age in there. So that's really comical, but okay, we'll put, we'll put links to all of your information in the show notes and you'll have a guest page also. So anyone that wants to contact you or might have travel stories to share with you, um, can contact you there. Yeah. Fantastic. If anyone wants to be a guest on my podcast, please reach out. I love speaking to people. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. This is Megan Chapa of the Travel Radio Podcast saying good night. You're listening to a Trav Market Media Network podcast, a podcast designed for you, the travel professional. Is there something you would like to hear or do you have feedback? Please write to us at podcast at travmarketmedia.com. Again, that's podcast with an S at travmarketmedia.com.